This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer, and today we have a very special guest in Mr. Tom Hensky. How you doing, Tom? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Tom has been in the business for a long time, coming up on 30 years next year. Started in the business in 1994. It's been with Mass Mutual for all those years. I know you were with certain companies. You left certain companies. There were some mergers, some buyouts, some all good stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, stuck with the same firm for a very long time. Tell us a little bit about your history in the business. How did you get started? Talk a little bit about those mergers or those buyouts or kind of how that stuff all evolved. Yeah, well, it was pretty straightforward. Like a lot of advisors, I couldn't get a job out of college. And so I was a college athlete. I was planning to go play professional soccer overseas. Everything was fine until I got that career ending injury. And all of a sudden I needed to find a place to work and to make money. And at that point, all the Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, all of their training classes were filled and I just couldn't get a job. So I convinced the father of one of the kids I was training in soccer to let me intern at his company. It was a small company downtown in Wall Street and started doing it. And then I said, wow, I really like this. I think I could be good at this, which then led to me running in on the street to one of my former high school soccer buddies. And he was working at a firm within Mass Mutual and said, hey, I could get you an interview and got me the interview. And then I started working alongside him and the rest was history. So the first company, was that Mass Mutual also? Was it? No, no, it was very, and it was a very short stint. It couldn't have been more than six months. Got if, it. Even that. Got it. Very cool. And so eh, you don't see many people that stay with the same firm for 20, 30 years. It's rarity nowadays, but most advisors, I think the average stay is somewhere between three to five years. What kept you at Mass all those years? Well, gosh, I mean, first of all, it's the creme de la creme of insurance carriers. They have a very rich history in treating their field force phenomenally. I trusted in the leadership. And at the end of the day, they left me alone to build my own business. So it wasn't like there was a lot of meddling going on. They were more entrepreneurial in spirit and saying, why don't you just build what you want to build under our framework and our resources? And I don't think that I knew better. I just felt like I wanted to do that. I wanted to have that autonomy to do that. And that's kind of, there was no reason to ever leave because the only reason to leave was me not being happy with what I myself built, right? So that would have been an indictment on the work I had done over those years. So it was always what I wanted it to be because I helped build it. Now, you're, you sunsetted with a firm a few years ago, two or three years ago, but you're still technically registered through mass. So are you still producing to some extent or are you pretty much done at this point? No, I'm still doing it. You might be saying that because I took a year uh, off. I'm calling it a sabbatical, which is just about to end. I had this passion project that I wanted to work on. And when my employment sunsetted with the old place, I said to myself, okay, I'm never going to get the opportunity to do this. And I wanted to just hop in. So I wrote a book called It Makes Total Sense. It's for parents on how to teach their kids about money. It's more of a cause marketing effort in the financial advisory field. And we could talk about that more if you want. But for me, it was more about my give back 
to not only my community, but to financial advisors to be able to have a tool that they could give to parents to make a change in how we're educating kids about money. Very cool. Yeah, we actually had somebody on the show, somebody I'm, I'm uh, close friends with named Matt Gardner, who did the four money bears. I don't know if you saw that, but that's been going around the schools. And then yours is called Total Sense. Actually, very neat website, very neat idea on how you're partnering with financial advisors to to provide financial literacy to people that need it. And it's interesting. I, I, I told the story to Mac when I spoke to him. I tried to go around to the schools and just teach a class or try to educate on finance, but simple finance, savings, investing, how to do this the right way. They looked at it as I was coming aboard to try to sell product and they go, well, you could donate to us first. And if you donate to us, then maybe we'll let you. And I'm like, that's not what I'm trying to do. And I, it just didn't, it, it didn't correlate. So it's an awesome thing you're doing. Talk a little bit about Total Sense, kind of what you've been up to. So I took a little bit of a different angle to it because I too found the whole getting stymied at the school and I could never figure it out. I thought to myself, wait a second, I'm unbelievably qualified to teach kids about money. In fact, I was a varsity soccer coach in the same school district. And so it's not like I didn't have a rapport with kids, but it just seemed like a lot of bureaucratic hurdles to try and get over in order for me to give to them not the other way around. You're not getting business by the kids running home and saying, mom, dad, guess what? We had this financial advisor in the class today to teach us about money. That's not how it works. You're, the parents of those kids are not going to say, oh, wow, I should call that person and maybe they'll be my new financial advisor. That will never happen. And so for me, it was more about talking to the parents because what I was finding is that the best lessons that kids can learn aren't necessarily in a laboratory, meaning the classroom. It's sitting around the dinner table. It's being on a car ride. It's hearing stories from parents who are actually quite qualified to talk about this. So if you get a credit card statement as a parent, you're qualified to talk about how a credit card works. If you get a mortgage statement, you could talk about mortgages and how the cost of a house. If you have, if you spend money on food or clothes, you could talk about budgeting. So what I just tried to do is take the mystery and the fear out of it for parents. And what I'm finding is, because I felt the financial advisors, we should carry the torch for this. We're the best equipped to have these conversations with the parents. What I'm finding is that financial advisors have taken this and run with it. And they are getting more new clients, more repeat business and better client retention than they've ever had. And by the way, they're having fun doing it. So I mean, show me something that's fun to do and it's profitable. I mean, is there a reason why you wouldn't do that? And, and you're partnering with other financial advisors to offer these services? Yeah, so this is not a for-profit for me. This is kind of my give back to the industry, give back to the world. My wife calls it my Jerry Maguire moment. So, and I'm partnering with them just to show them the how. So sometimes they'll have me in to give a speech to a large group of parents or a webinar, but basically I'm encouraging them to buy the books, send them to clients, and then to have a continuous, let's call it a drip email to stay in front of clients on the 12 topics that we try to teach. Excellent. And so it's an ongoing process, actually. Right. It's not like a one and done, right? Because parents also, for example, if you give them a book, most people tend to 
get a little bit of anxiety because they say, wow, now I need to read the book and report back. The book that we put together is more of a guide. And the reason that there are 12 lessons and 12 chapters is because there's 12 months in a year. And so each chapter is only seven pages. So no one's getting overwhelmed with reading seven pages in the course of a month. We do a podcast, which is super cool. We have kids in the town doing TikToks on the subject. It's been a community affair. And it's amazing because my stature in my own community has grown from it. In fact, last night, my wife and I went to dinner and a guy stopped me and he said, hey, you're the guy who teaches parents about money. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And when you think about it, that's what I want to be known for. When my career ends, the value I want to have added to the world is not so much that I help people figure out how much stocks or bonds or how much in this mutual fund or this insurance product. It was more, did I make a difference in helping people build better habits? Interesting. So you did this sabbatical, you, you call it, and obviously you sunsetted out of the business. So whatever that agreement is, you're out. Now you're coming back into the business. What does that look like? Because most people that I've heard that have actually sunset, they leave, right? They're out. What's kind of your plan going forward? Yeah, well, I'm not with the same company that I sunsetted with, but I did stay in that agency. Still have all my licenses. I am doing now insurance only, as opposed to the financial planning, wealth management, whatever you might call it. I'm not doing any asset management anymore. It's really just larger life insurance cases with higher net worth individuals. For me, I thought, thought that was important just to keep my mind stimulated. Uh, believe it or not, I'm the person that enjoys the continuing ed credits that we need to get because it's keeping me sharp for this other project that I'm working on, which has now really grown and it's now getting into college athletics. And there's something called NIL where athletes can now get paid money and the NCAA is worried that they're getting paid, but they're not getting an education. So it's opening up all these doors. It's funny. I am busier now than I was when I was working full-time in the, my previous company. Well, you hear that from retirees all the time, but mostly it's because of doctor's appointments. Yeah, uh, so no, was, no. Yeah. I'm too young to start doing that. Yeah, for sure. No, it's not doctor appointments yet. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. So you have a reputation in your area of the business as somebody that kind of grew from nothing and kind of made it to the top. You were in many chairman's clubs, multi-million dollar roundtables, these great statures. What is some advice you would give to newer advisors kind of entering the area? Obviously, a negative connotation we can get from insurance part of the industry is that a lot of it is, oh, come on in, you're, you'll sell your family, your friends, insurance, you'll cut your teeth that way, and then you'll build a business. Obviously, you built the business. So let, let, let's hear from how you kind of got started what made you successful and, and how did you get started? Well, I think some of the things are no brainers that you wouldn't be surprised to, he to hear me say. So for example, in my mind, when I was an under four year associate, there's no one that is ever going to work harder than I am. At least that was the mindset, right? Yep. So I was in early and I was there late. There's zero substitute for that hungriness that you have and that drive to be there and do stuff. Probably the biggest thing that you can do is build your network. 
and get out there and tell your story, right? There was a great book by, I believe it was Nick Murray. It was called The Game of Numbers or something like that. Yep. And he just talked about, you need to get out and tell your story. And I feel like nothing good gets done when you're sitting in an office. You might think that you're doing a lot, but you're not being as efficient and as productive you should be. So that's probably something that I would have done differently. You're right. I didn't come from a wealthy family that had all these contacts that I was going to be able to make these people clients. And it was tough. It was a grind. I mean, in fact, our general agent at the time, Howard Cowan, who was legendary, he was once quoted as saying in a staff meeting, who's Tom Hensky and what is he still doing in my company? Right. And now I credit Howard for a lot of my growth personally, but that was a wake up call, but I was an athlete and when you're an athlete, and remember, I was also a goalkeeper in soccer. So you don't have time to worry about when you let in a goal. You need to kind of just hit the control, delete button and move on. So the other thing I would tell you is, especially in those first four years, there's going to be a lot of failure, a ton. And you need to have thick skin and get over it. I can tell you that the more times that I got up and dusted myself off and just went back at it, the more success I had. Do you think it's harder in today's era for a new advisor to get started or easier? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna sound old with this one. So much easier, right? I mean, I, but it's harder in some respects because all of the manual work that we needed to do as advisors when I started really educated you at a granular level on the products and the the planning techniques and the tax things that you needed to know it's almost too easy now because it's all at a touch of a button that today's advisor it, they don't have the lessons stick in their head so i think one of the beauties is that when i go in front of a client i can remember things left and right because I really had to learn them from the ground level. Whereas today's advisor, I hear them say a lot more, I don't know, I need to get back to you. And that's fine. And I know we've taught advisors, don't try to make things up, which is correct. But there's not that like granular knowledge of the, the things we do, the products we use, the planning techniques, all the things I talked about before. So it's a blessing and a curse. Does any part of you, you retired, you, you spent time on this project and now you're gonna focus on insurance. Does any part of you go, I'm still young. Could I go out there? Could I restart the business? Has that been a thought since you've been out of it? A any regrets? No, because it's like I've been there, done that. I mean, the company that we I built with my partners before I sunsetted was, I think we got up to like 320 people. So I had already done that, worked in a partnership, built it from 30 employees to over 300. And that was a great time in my life. And I learned a ton. But now, even in this year that I've taken a sabbatical, I've been able to really refresh and see new markets. And I'm actually excited to try and do it as almost a sole practitioner, as opposed to a partnership, because I want to prove to myself that I could do that. And I think that it's totally possible. And like, look, the things that I'm doing now and the places that I'm getting in front of the groups that I'm speaking to when I'm public speaking are nothing that I was doing in my years prior. And it only opened up because I was just looking at things refreshed. You're not hearing of a lot of advisors your age that are sunsetting. It's normally when they get into their 70s or 80s, they're finally, hey, I'm ready to sunset. And the reason is that in our business, it's always been, hey, if you're successful and you have a huge book of business, 
you can bring in other people to help you run it. You don't necessarily have to put that time in and time out. Did you feel like that was the only way to get out of that was to sunset or was there any thought that, Hey, I could just put less time in. No. And it's not, I'm not a lazy person. So it's funny, as I mentioned to you, I'm working harder now, which is like hard to even imagine because I was working super hard when, when I was part of the partnership, but I think it's like advice that we give to our clients. Let me give you an example. I had a client that I think he was liquid about $30 million, right? So he had plenty of money for what he needed. And he was still working so hard, but he was stressed out. He was out of shape. It was paying a toll on its, his family. And we were talking about it one day. And I said to him, I go, you realize that even if you double your net worth, your life doesn't change. And he said, well, what do you mean my life doesn't change? Like 30 to $60 million, that's a big difference. And I said to him, really? I don't think it is because you've already got three houses. You're not going to get number four, five, and six because it's too much to manage. You go everywhere you want to go. And you also, it's not like if you doubled your net worth, then now all of a sudden you're going to buy a private jet. And I think it really gave him some perspective when I said that as to why was he spending so much time commuting, traveling, doing all this stuff at the risk of not having great family relationships, not having good physical health. And I think I just was taking my own advice with that. You just made that step. Yeah. I mean, look, look, if you're going to talk the talk, you better darn walk the walk. Yep. And so I was doing a lot of talking and giving advice. And I just felt like I had accomplished everything that I needed to accomplish with building a wealth management firm. And so I wanted to stay in the industry, but give back and do it a different way. And by the way, I don't think it's mutually exclusive that you can give back and increase your profitability. And so my theory is by doing good, I am doing good. Yeah. Yeah. And it, your future's bright. Like you said, this might've opened up avenues and doors that you didn't necessarily think were going to be there. So it's it, very cool. Another question. Um, we talked about younger advisors. What about advisors that are like finally getting to that hump? They just hit that. And insurance is a little different than what I do, but you hit that milestone, a million dollar producer, or $2 million producer, whatever that milestone is. And now what's next? What advice would you give to that advisor that's kind of hit that milestone and is waiting to get to the next milestone? What advice would you give them? Okay, this is a tough one because in the beginning, you are working so hard to acquire clients. It's almost in the very beginning, it's a, I'll take anyone who could fog the mirror, right? Yep, yep. We all have experienced that. Anyone who's listening to this podcast, they're shaking their head and they're saying, yep, exactly, Tom, I know exactly what you're talking about. But here's the irony to that is that same mentality that got you there is not the same mentality that will get you to the next level. So here's the problem. The problem is we used to talk about your top 30 clients and really focusing on your top 30. And we used to talk about your goal every year would be to replace, let's say, three or four of your top 30. So the question then becomes, as you're acquiring new clients over and you're replacing your 30 to a new 30 and focusing on those clients, what happens to number 31, 32, 33, 100, 150, 200 clients, whatever it might be? So you basically made a commitment to someone that you were going to be with them for life and their advisor for life. 
And now you've built your business model because there's only one of you that you could really service them. And you can, and the reality is you can't service them. So I think what a seasoned advisor needs to do quickly is to get a junior partner and begin to work on things jointly with your existing clients. And there are ways you can do that, but I think that allows you to still service the client the way you made the promise that you would, but allows you to kind of increase your market size in terms of net worth of clients, profitability, whatever that might be. But if you don't service the clients that you bring in, then you're, I don't want to say you're a fraud, but you're just not following through on the promises that you made. I think a fraud is a, a good word for it because at the end of the day, these people put trust in, in you and health's the most important thing. And second should be money as far as things people do for you. And, and so I do take our profession extremely seriously. And I think at the end of the day, you have to service them. And if it is bringing in a junior, then great. Then that's what you do. Or you do your Jerry Maguire moment and you just, you, 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 Ron teased it. What, what, uh, what's his name? The receiver from the movie, Jerry Maguire. Uh, oh, Rod Tidwell. Rod, Rod Tidwell. Rod Tidwell yeah. Right. yeah, and then you just keep Rod Tidwell as your only uh, client, right? Which I don't know how profitable that would be. But uh, Tom, last question. Words of advice to that advisor that is considering exiting the business, is having a tough time. What would be some advice you would give to them? I would bring it right back to what Howard Cowan said to us when we were going through the system and saying, you can quit the business, but you have to earn the right to quit the business. So you have to be able to say that you made it before you quit. And I always thought of like, well, that seems, that doesn't seem the way to do it. And I totally get now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit more wiser as to what he meant. It's like stick in it long enough. So you're not making the decision just because you had some temporary fails that the business isn't for you. But if you get to the part where you're being successful and you're earning a living from it and you still think it's not for you, that's the time to leave. It's If you've ever heard the phrase, don't make a long-term decision when you're most emotional, yep. right? Like, yep. you know, I, like when I coached soccer every year, I, I had to rethink, am I going to go back and coach another season? And I would never make it after the last game, which is usually a loss because you're in the playoffs unless you win it all. And don't make the decision that night. Don't make it the next week don't make it with that mindset. So I would say that the Howard Cowan philosophy of, yeah, you can quit. Just make sure you make it first before you quit. Good advice. Good advice. Or if you're in it for the wrong reasons, then, then maybe you should quit. But other, other than that, great advice. Tom, if any advisor wanted to reach out to you, obviously you have this program of getting financial advisors connected with Total Sense. What's the best way to get a hold of you? I think LinkedIn's always the easiest because that way you can cyber stalk me and see if you actually do want to talk to me or do want to connect with me. I'm pretty guarded with my time. So usually I've actually raised some money for charity. So I usually say, look, if you want to get on the phone and talk, great. I would just ask that you write a check to charity for it. So I think that's a good trade. I think it's fair. No one's gotten ticked off at me yet for making that ask. But yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn's the best way to get a hold of me. Excellent. So it's Thomas Henske, if you want to reach Tom. Yeah, H-E-N-S-K-E. H-E-N-S-K-E. Got it. All right, Tom, pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for having me. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. You know where to find us and make sure you like and you subscribe. Thanks so much.